We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. Let me tell you about two laws and two bills that are kind of in the news right now. Uh, and then I just uh, the, these feel like a big deal, kind of a pendulum swing on some of the stuff we're seeing. The first okay. one's out of California. California Governor Gavin Newsom. Uh, this was this past Wednesday. He signed a bill into law that critics say forces insurance companies to conceal from parents the medical services their children are receiving, including when it involves such controversial ones as abortions, puberty blockers, Mm -hmm. and cross-sex hormones. Now, the new law is called AB 1184, and it prohibits insurance companies from requiring minors to receive authorization from the policy-holding parents Mm -hmm. for, quote, sensitive services. Nope. All right. File that one away because then okay. I want to read to you the second one. Okay. The second one, I'm reading this from Christian Headlines. It is, says this, uh, President Biden endorses controversial bill guaranteeing abortion, quote, without limits. The oh. Biden administration has endorsed a bill that would guarantee legalized abortion, quote, without limitations and overturn hundreds of state level pro-life laws. The White House Office of Management and Budget on Monday said the administration had endorsed the Women's Health Protection Act, which is supported by Democratic leaders in the House and Senate and is de- is designed to codify legalized abortion nationwide, no matter what the U.S. Supreme Court rules in the future. They said this is uh, the Biden administration strongly supports the bill, especially in wake of the Texas heartbeat abortion ban going into effect. And they say it has never been more important to codify this constitutional right and to strengthen uh, health care access for women. And so the the big deal in this is not only that it kind of goes above the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, but yeah. also, Aubrey, the extreme nature of it, the radical bill is, is basically um, the, the key there is without limitation. So right. in theory, right. if things are not written into this law, in theory, this is not just protecting – as devastating as this would be, this is not just protecting abortion rights in the first trimester or, you know, up to yes, eight weeks or right. whatever, which we would be against. Of course. But kind of says it without restrictions. Ooh. So, Aubrey, let me put both of those on your plate yeah. and uh, give me your response. Yeah, I mean, they're both about protecting kids, right? I think yeah. the, the first one you're talking about, it is it is horrifying to me. I mean, it is absolutely horrifying and evil that when you would put that kind of pressure on kids to allow them to make that kind of 
deeply, deeply life altering decision, like a right. transgender or like an abortion without consulting the most important people in their lives. And that's their parents. And I think that the slippery slope of this is that you begin to treat kids like adults. Where does it end? I mean, mm. you know what I mean? Like the most evil of people then begin abusing kids because now they're expected to be treated and respond like adults to adult right. situations. And those are adult situations. Like the, the things that were like abortion, trans, uh, transgender, uh, change, mm -hmm. surgical change, uh, medical change, whatever. Those are adult decisions and kids should not be responsible for that. I just absolutely think we are not protecting our kiddos. It, it's heartbreaking to me. It's actually deeply heartbreaking to me. And then I think the without limits abortion is the e most evil of evil. Like I mm. think ultimately what we're saying, and look, I am as pro women as they come, but I think ultimately we're just giving women the constitutional right or men the constitutional right to murder babies. Mm. It's and I don't usually speak that extreme. You know that about me. I tend I to do. be fairly middle ground and fairly balanced. I think this is the most evil and we will have to be on our knees before the Lord, like begging him for mercy. I, my, my, I mean, I honestly am in tears right now. This is this is scary stuff to me that we would put our kids in. um such a vulnerable position. I hate it. I hate yeah. it. Thanks for your for your emotion on that. I, I would say uh, that it so much loses its its uh, its teeth when this just becomes a political issue, and that's why I'm glad that you pointed us back to you. Like to say that children in the state of California can make decisions Ugh. about the future of their uh, of their sexuality right. of their gender, and, like right. making surgical decisions, right? right. Uh, Without their parents' knowledge or without their parents' consent is mind-boggling to me. It's yeah, like it as is. a society, we have lost our minds. Ab absolutely. Because we don't even let kids decide about stuff that is much less consequential. I mean, they have to have our approval to be on a sports team after yes. school. Like, yes, come but, on. But now to make that. And it's, so it's just political pawns is yeah, what exactly, this is at this exactly. point. We're just going, well, we, we've got this agenda. And then, like you said, to to uh, the extreme abortion laws that people are pushing for in this country. Uh, you know what the, the the Democratic Party used to talk when they were much more pro-choice back in the nineties. Mm -hmm. Bill Clinton himself used to talk about making abortion as rare and safe as possible. Exactly. Like the the goal was to make it safe, but as rare. And I forget exactly what the term was. That's not the call anymore. Gosh, <laughs> it's so extreme. Like, let's try to minimize yeah. as many abortions as possible. I told you this uh, early in the week. I was listening to a sermon the other day from Matt Chandler, who I listen to often. I would encourage people to go listen to it from a couple weeks ago um, where he talks about – because he's from Texas. He talks about the Texas abortion law, and he gives the most compelling uh, talk about how the church and, and pro-life movement are the most pro-women thing out there. Mm. And it was really compelling. But wow. then he just basically says what you and I have been saying, like – if we are called to to support the most vulnerable yeah. in this world, if we are called to uh, to support and save the quote unquote least of these, an unborn baby is at the top of that. Absolutely, list. And, absolutely. You know, Aubrey, you and I are both kids. To, I mean, parents of of teenagers mm. to build, to think that our kids could be given the mm. um, the ability to make decisions like this, life altering mm -hmm. decisions. 
I, I'm scared for who we are as a culture. You know, like, I, 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 I don't usually speak in like grand terms like that either, but yeah. I, I am increasingly worried about us as a society. Yeah. I, it, 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 you know, you, you do feel like an old person saying this, but it does seem like, okay, are we just like moving towards entropy and destroying each other for not even caring yeah. for our kids? What does that say about our society? And it does not look pretty thankfully god is on the throne and you know we have to trust that he is still at work in all of this let me remind you of a great organization we were partnering with last week as we talk about abortion uh and that is an organization called preborn now they were on last week uh what preborn does is they off they offer free ultrasounds uh to young women of unplanned pregnancies who might be considering abortions and the reason that's important is because over 80% of women who see an ultrasound of their baby, over 80% of those women will choose life when they see that ultrasound. And so you can give a gift of only $28 will do that for one woman. $140 provides a free ultrasound session for five young women. Uh, and all of the money that they raise goes right back here into the Chicagoland and helps do this, helps save the lives of babies. Kind of as we said last week, are we putting our money where our mouth That's is? It. And yeah. so you can make a gift by visiting 1160hope.com and click on the preborn banner or call 833-850-2229. That's 833-850-2229. Well, those are hard stories, but yeah. we thought important for us as Christians and as the church uh, to talk about. We're coming up next. We're excited to be joined by a teammate here uh, on uh, AM 1160, Dr. Robert Jeffress. He's senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Dallas and also the host of Pathway to Victory, which you can hear weekdays at 8.30 a.m. right here on AM 1160. We're going to talk to him about his new book, Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life. Uh, we're going to do that next with Dr. Robert Jeffress here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled to be joined uh, by a teammate here on AM 1160. We're joined by Dr. Robert Jeffress. Uh, Dr. Jeffress is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas. He's also the host of Pathway to Victory, which you can hear every weekday at 8.30 a.m. right here on AM 1160. Dr. Jeffress, how are you doing today? Doing great. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. And Dr. Jeffers, we're uh, excited to talk to you about your new book called Invincible, Conquering the Mountains That Separate You from the Blessed Life. And why don't we start there? Why don't you just tell us about that new book and why did you choose to write this book? Well, the, the subtitle you just read, Conquering the Mountains That Separate You from the Blessed Life, really tell it all. Uh, in the Bible, mountains were metaphors for obstacles, challenges that separated God's people from God's blessings. And uh, we have certainly had our share of mountains over the last 18 months uh, in the midst of a global pandemic and political and civil unrest. And uh, uh, some of those mountains that I talk about in this book that are really keeping people from experiencing God's best in their life include worry, uh, fear, loneliness, 
a grief. Uh, we've all experienced some of those emotions, very real emotions over the last uh, 18 months. And what I have found is, you know, the Bible says that uh, while we may not be able to eliminate those mountains, we can conquer them without allowing them to conquer us. And uh, that's what this book, Invincible, is about. It's a very practical book about how we can partner with God, uh, again, to conquer, not remove once and for all, but to conquer those mountains that we experience every day. Oh, I love that. And Dr. Jeffress, let's get practical right away. What does it look like for us to partner with God to move some of those mountains that you mentioned? You know, it's interesting. There is only one thing that God refuses to allow us to partner with him on, and that is our salvation. That is a work of God alone, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. But just about every other significant accomplishment in life is a partnership between God and us. Uh, you look uh, in the Old Testament, God said to Adam and Eve, now I'm going to give you a perfect garden, but you're to cultivate it and to keep it. He told the Israelites, Now, I'm going to give you the promised land, but you're going to have to fight for every square inch of it. And a lot of times we face these mountains like worry, for example, and and, uh, we say, uh, God, I'm worried. I'm going to give my worry to you. Or we've got bitterness in our heart. God, I'm going to give my bitterness to you. And God says, you know, I really don't want your bitterness. I don't want your worry. (laughs) I'm going to give it back to you. And uh, it's a partnership. And so what we talk about in Invincible are just some very practical things we can do as Christians who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to conquer these mountains. And this isn't positive thinking mumbo-jumbo. The Bible has some real practical solutions for things like worry, for example, that we can do uh, to conquer these mountains. Uh, Romans 8.37 says, we are more than conquerors through him who uh, loved us. And uh, when we partner with God, there's really no mountain that we face that's unscalable. You know, at the beginning of the book, Dr. Jeffress, you you talk about a mountain in your own life that you and your family have recently faced. And I think that's powerful to hear people, you know, an author or a pastor say, this is how I've wrestled with it. This is where I've struggled with it. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and how God worked in your life and your family's life? Well, my oldest daughter, uh, Julia, who's an author herself and radio uh, program host, uh, she and her husband a few years ago went through three miscarriages. And you know, if you've ever gone through that or know somebody who has, that produces all kind of mountains, doubt, uh, grief, uh, uh, worry, and so forth. And uh, they were facing very real loss. And one day, Julia came to me and she said, you know, Dad, Ryan, that's her husband, and I are going to start praying that God would give us triplets, one life to replace every life that was lost. And being the great man I am, I said, Julia, don't pray for that. (laughs) I said, you're going to be disappointed. (laughs) triplets in our family. You're just setting yourself up for more disappointment. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, Dad, if you want to see God do big things, you have to pray big things. And sure enough, God gave them triplets. And uh, she even wrote a book about it called Pray Big Things. But she taught me a lot about how to mountains. And uh, so, you know, uh, sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no. Uh, But that doesn't keep us. The fact that God may say no should not keep us from asking. Like James said, you have not because you ask not. 
Mm, what a powerful story. And Dr. Jeffress, you've mentioned some of the mountains that often separate Christians from the life that God intends for them. I know in the book you walk through 10 specific life mountains. Let's talk about the first one, because I think this is um, so important for almost all believers right now, moving from doubt to faith. On a practical level, what can listeners who are struggling with doubt do to overcome this specific mountain? Well, I think we have to understand that, first of all, doubt is natural. Anytime we're trying to have a relationship with an invisible God, there's going to be doubt in our lives. And that's normal. And by the way, God's big enough to handle your doubt. When you look at Jesus, he never condemned people who had sincere questions. But what we don't want to do is see our doubt grow into unbelief. That is a sin. That is a settled conclusion. And so we need to deal with those seeds of doubt before they become a full-blown case of unbelief. And one thing I have found about doubt is that doubt is a lot like a mushroom. It grows best in the darkness. And I think over these last 18 months of COVID, a lot of Christians have become isolated, disconnected from other Christians, and that's where doubt grows the best, in isolation. So we talk about some practical things you can do to make sure your doubt, very sincere doubts, uh, don't turn into unbelief. And Dr. Jeffers, as we close out this segment, there are some people out there who probably think, you know what, I, I can't get past looking at the mountains. It's just so hard for me to see God. Is it is it as simple as like just naming the mountains? Is it just simple as start with prayer? What would you tell the person as a first step when they're like, all I see is the doubt, all I see is the fear, and I don't quite know what to do? Yeah, well, I, I would say, first of all, all of these mountains are different in shapes and sizes. Different mountains require different skill sets to deal with. So they're not all the same. And uh, regardless of the size of the mountain, God has given us a way to scale them. That's a great word. Again, Dr. Robert Jeffress is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas. He's also the host of Pathway to Victory, which you can hear weekdays right here on AM 1160 at 830 a.m. You can learn more about Dr. Jeffress and Pathway to Victory at ptv.org. And right now, if you go to ptv.org, there's a special offer on Dr. Jeffress's new book, and you can request a copy of Invincible in thanks for your gift to their ministry. So again, that's at ptv.org. Dr. Jeffress, we're thrilled that you stayed with us. You know, as we think about the mountains out there right now, in the, especially in the midst of a global pandemic and, you know, political partisanship and just so much going on in our culture, it makes me think about, about worry. There's just a lot of people out there right now who are, who are just uh, riddled by anxiety and by worry. Like that's the huge mountain right now. What would you say to the people who are really struggling with worry? Well, it is uh, uh, one of the tallest mountains people are facing right now. And one of the most common uh, anxiety is an at an all-time level, experts tell us. And, you know, uh, I don't know if you have ever had this experience. I have, you know, you'll have a great day, be productive at work, or maybe you're enjoying a day with your family, or even a day of worship, when out of nowhere, this alien thought comes in your mind, and it always begins with the words, what if, you know, what if I get yeah. sick virus? What if I lose my job? What if my kids rebel? What if, what if, and that what if thought paralyzes you. I mean, to the point you don't feel like reading your Bible, or praying, or doing anything. I think one of the uh, most 
frequent sources of worry is Satan himself. He loves to paralyze us with overwhelming worry. And that doesn't come from God. It comes from the evil one. And I think there's some ways to deal with worry that come straight out of the Bible. And let me just give you one suggestion. You know, in Philippians 4, Paul said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. It's not enough to tell people who worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. That's like telling them, uh, don't think about a pink elephant. You know, if you tell somebody that, that's all they can do is think about a pink elephant. No, you've got to replace one activity with another. And Paul said, don't worry about anything. Instead, replace that worry with prayer. Um, my friend David Jeremiah has a great suggestion that I mentioned in my book, Invincible. He says, take out a piece of paper. Put the title of it at the top, My Worry List, and make a list of everything you can think of that you're worried about. It may take two or three pages. It may take the whole tablet. But once you have finished, exhausted everything you can think of to worry about, take your pen, go back to the top of the paper, scratch out the word worry, and insert the word prayer. Turn your worry list into your prayer list. And Paul says, when you do that, automatically, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It is impossible to worry and pray at the same time. Wow, that's so powerful. What a what a practical but profound um, step for us. Thanks for sharing that, Dr. Jeffress. Another thing that you talk about in your book is loneliness. And as we all know, following the COVID-19 pandemic, loneliness is at an all-time high. What practical advice can you share with our listeners who want to move from loneliness to companionship, to community, to friendship? Well, I think several things. First of all, it is, is at an epidemic rate, people feeling lonely, disconnected, because they are disconnected uh, from family members and certainly from the church. I would say a couple of things. First of all, uh, recognize your need for other people. I mean, we have a profound need for one another. You know, this is going to shock some of your listeners, but I'll say it. A relationship with God is not enough to satisfy every need you have. Now, before you write me off as a heretic, understand that God himself is the one who said that. He had created Adam, put him in a perfect garden. They had a relationship untainted by sin. That would come later. But in the midst of that perfect relationship, God said to Adam, Adam, it's not good for a man to be alone. Now, Adam wasn't alone. He had a relationship with God. But God said, you need another human being, and I'm going to make a helper suitable for you. We're not only spirit beings, we're human beings. We need other people. We're kind of like those two porcupines in northern Canada that huddled together to keep warm. They needed one another, even though they needled one another. <laughs> and we're the same way. We need other Christians. And I would say the best thing you can do is to get involved in a church with other Christians. Look, I'm a great uh uh, believer and advocate for the online church. I mean, during the pandemic, uh, we've had hundreds of thousands of people worshiping with us every week at First Baptist Dallas. But as wonderful as online worship is, it is a cheap substitute for the real thing. Uh, we need to be back together. Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves, but encourage one all the more. And uh, I really think it's important time now for Christians to 
you know, quit being pajama Christians on Sunday mornings and get back into Mm -hmm. a church where they can get the encouragement that we all desperately need from one another. That's good. And, uh, you know, Dr. Jeffress, as we think about mountains, and I know you talk about this in the book, uh, I think one of the biggest ones that people really struggle with is when really bad things happen to them, right? Like when, when they're, you know, loss of a loved one or loss of health. And, and you talk in chapter 10 about going from grief to acceptance, like that mountain of grief. Could you talk more about that? Because I think that's such a big one for so many people. Yeah, I mean, over these last 18 months, uh, people have lost a lot. Uh, Some people have lost loved ones to COVID. Some people have lost their health. Some people have lost their job. Some people are just grieving over the loss of time uh, that they'll never get back again. And any significant loss is accompanied by grief. And as a pastor, I have people ask me who've gone through a loss. I say, well, when will I ever feel normal again? And I say, never. I mean, that's the truth. There is, though, a new normal, which sometimes can be just as good or even better than what you experienced before. And we all know grief is a process, and I talk about that process from a biblical standpoint. Jesus experienced grief over the loss of his best friend, Lazarus. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. But uh, here's the thing about grief. It's a process. It's like going through a dark tunnel. The bad news is the tunnel is lonely, it's dark, it can be frightening. The good news is once you've started in that tunnel, you're already on the way out of it. And uh, as the psalmist said, sorrow endures the night, but joy comes in the morning. Mm, That's a really good word. Again, Dr. Robert Jeffress is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas. He's also the host of Pathway to Victory, which you can hear weekdays at 8.30 a.m. right here on AM 1160. And his new book is Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life. Now, again, go to ptv.org. That's where you can learn more about Dr. Jeffress. You can also learn more about Pathway to Victory. But also at ptv.org, there's a special offer right there at their website and a way to get Dr. Jeffress' new book. Again, Dr. Robert Jeffress, you can hear him on AM 1160 every weekday at 8.30 a.m. Dr. Jeffress, this has truly been our pleasure to have you on again. We'd love to do it again sometime. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we're thrilled to be joined by a friend of the show, Matthew Sorens. He's the U.S. Director of Church Mobilization and Advocacy for World Relief. He's the National Coordinator for the Evangelical Immigration Table. He's the co-author of Seeking Refuge on the Shores of the Global Refugee Crisis and Welcoming the Stranger, Justice, Compassion, and the Truth in the Immigration Debate. Matthew, would you stop doing things? Because your <laughs> bio is now getting way too long. That is a little bit. A little, it's a lot of words, isn't it? <laughs> it's a lot of words. Well done. Well done, sir. Well, we are thrilled to have you to talk about the border crisis, how we can support the work of World Relief. Anna, before we jump into what's going on with Haitian migrants at the border, you were on the show maybe a month ago um, to talk a little bit about the Afghan refugees and evacuees. And we'd love to um, have you update us on the situation there. Yeah. So I can't remember exactly when it was that I was on, but at this point, um, as everyone's probably aware, the the evacuation is, I wouldn't say it's completed in that, unfortunately, there's still a lot of vulnerable people left behind in Afghanistan who we think should have gotten out, but the U.S. is no longer evacuating people. That ended about a month ago. 
Um, among the 100, 120,000 or so people who got out, that included a, a lot of American citizens and European, you know, NATO allies. But it also included about 50,000 or so vulnerable Afghans, um, some of whom already had their visas approved for what's called a special immigrant visa because they served the U.S. military. Uh, many others were still in process. And so they were paroled into the United States after doing some processing overseas, either in Qatar or Germany or another overseas military base. Um, most of those Afghans at this point are in military bases throughout the United States. So they've been lawfully brought into the United States with this parole status. And they're going through some further health checks, including COVID vaccines and, you know, that sort of thing. And then we're expecting sometime in the next few weeks where haven't been given, I don't think, precise dates in most cases. But for those individuals to be flown to communities around the country, including including here in Chicagoland, where refugee resettlement agencies like World Relief will work with our community partners. And in our case, that's a lot of local churches to meet people at the airport and help them get into housing. Um, it'll be some permanent housing. And then, unfortunately, we're going to have to use some temporary housing situations as well, like like hotels, or for example, on a short-term basis while we can find permanent housing just because so many people are arriving in a fairly short period of time and there's not always apartments available. Matthew, how do they decide where people go? Like, uh, how do they decide who, how many people Chicago gets versus another city? What is that process for the government? Yeah, so the government has basically consulted. Uh, there's a few factors that go into that. One is there's nine national refugee resettlement agencies. So World Relief is one of those. The Catholic Church is one of those. Um, we basically get together and say, here's what our capacity is. So here in Chicagoland, World Relief and between the city and the suburbs, you know, if we're stretching, we could take this many people. And then, you know, in um, the Catholics uh, might say in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we could take this many people. The other factor that goes into that is the Afghans themselves. Some of them have, you know, family who are already in the United States and they're, they're going to do their best to prioritize bringing people to where their relatives are. So that's why the Afghans that have already arrived and there's been some, especially in August, um, largely for our network went to Sacramento, Seattle, and Fort Worth, which are communities with large Afghan populations already. So people mm. would be more likely to know someone there already. We do have some in Chicago as well, but those are kind of the the national hotspots for the number of Afghans already living there. And then some of it is a little bit, I wouldn't say random, but you know we have space in Moline, Illinois, and um, housing is relatively affordable compared to some other places. And there's jobs at this point, frankly, it feels like there's jobs everywhere in the country. Um, it's, it's not really, that's not the challenge we're facing right now is not finding jobs. Uh, the challenge is finding decently affordable housing that will rent to someone with no credit history when they first arrive. Mm. Um, Matthew, if the, you know, we usually jump into how can the church help near the end of our time with you, but just piggybacking off of that, how can the church help? How can we help find affordable housing? How can we help support the work that World Relief is doing? Yeah, I so appreciate that question, Aubrey. Um, We are doing this with incredible support from local churches and volunteers and individuals and donors. Um, So if anyone can see themselves in any of those places, they should go to worldrelief.org. And if you you click around, you can find the Chicagoland specific website with specific donor donation needs, both. We can always use cash, of course, but also um, items that can be useful to furnish apartments. Actually, our warehouse is packed full right now, which is amazing. But once the Afghans start arriving, it's going to empty out really quickly. So probably in a month or so is when we'll really need those in-kind donations. Um, housing is such a huge need. If someone happens to be a landlord or 
you know, we had a church in Schaumburg that said, you know, you could use this parsonage that we have and hmm. we could have a family live there. That has been an amazing blessing. Um, even just creative ideas in terms of housing, especially for some of the larger families. I mean, we're expecting some families with seven or eight children. Wow. And you, you know, that that's not a one bedroom apartment. So um, finding housing for larger families is particularly challenging, especially in the Chicagoland area. So those are all ways churches can help. Um, as well as volunteering. Um, we, you know, our mission at World Relief has always been to empower the local church to serve. So our staff are amazing. Um, but, you know, the people who can have the long-term relational um, connection with these families that are arriving are often going to be volunteers from a church. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and so, Matthew, that's kind of what we've all been aware of what's going on with the Afghan refugees. But now there's this what feels probably not too new to you guys, but to a lot of us who just watch the news, all that's going on with the Haitian uh, refugees and immigrants kind of down at the border. Could you update people? What's just even going on? Help people understand what's going on with people coming from Haiti right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with, first of all, just to distinguish from the refugee resettlement process. And it, it's important to understand refugees are identified by the U.S. government overseas and then come sort of on an airplane after being vetted by the U.S., uh, that's not to say that people coming from Haitians are less in need in any way, but they're coming on their own. They've made their own way to the United States and they're doing so. Um, I, they don't always understand U.S. immigration law, you know, very well, just like most Americans don't necessarily understand immigration law very well. <laughs> right. you know? But they're under the impression that if they get to the United States and ask for help, they may, may be allowed to stay. And there is some grain of truth in our immigration laws to that extent. We have something in the U.S. law called asylum. Asylum is basically people who are not brought to the United States because they fled persecution, but people who make their own way to the United States. Maybe they got a temporary tourist visa and came on an airplane, or maybe they can make their way to the U.S. border. And U.S. law says that if you can demonstrate that you have a credible fear of persecution on account of your race, religion, political opinion, national origin, or social group, you are allowed to stay. Now, some of these folks have that credible fear and will be able to prove that or would be able to prove that if they're given the chance. Some of them, frankly, probably don't, but they didn't understand the finer points of the law. They know that they're fleeing a really terrible situation. And unfortunately, Haiti has been facing incredible challenges for a long time. Um, a lot of these folks actually le left Haiti years ago, um, and they've been living in South America. Some of them were living in Brazil and helping us sort of fill in a labor gap during the Olympics some years ago. Um, some of them then moved on to Chile, where the economy was a little bit better. But for a variety of reasons, they they weren't able to stay permanently in those countries. And they had hoped and understood that if they made it to the United States, they might be able to stay permanently. And what's happened is it's complicated. Um, at this point, the tens of, you know, 10 to 15,000 people who were under a bridge a week or so ago have been cleared out. Uh, my understanding is about 4,000 have been expelled back to Haiti. Uh, uh, many others have gone, quote unquote, voluntarily back to Mexico, obviously sort of under duress if the Mexican government will either let them or they got, you know, somehow got back into Mexico. And others have been allowed to pursue asylum in the United States. Um, they, they're now in the U.S. What usually happens then is they go to family. Most of them have family somewhere in the U.S. or some family friend, and they wait for their court date in the U.S. And that's a similar process to what we've seen with a lot of Central Americans and a lot of other people of other nationalities in recent years. Um, so depending on which, you know, cable news show you watch, you might have heard one side of that story or the other. Mm, right, the reality is it's right. a little bit complicated what's happening. But where we've been concerned at World Relief is for those who are being expelled. We've never said everybody should who gets to the U.S. should be allowed to stay. What we've said is there ought to be due process to avail yourself to U.S. law. And what's happening is 
many of those who are being expelled, they're not being formally deported, but they're being expelled under a public health law called Title 42 that actually a judge ruled a couple of weeks ago is illegal. Oh, but wow. gave the administration a couple of weeks to implement. So they're using it while they can and expelling people without giving access to request asylum under the law. And that's concerning to us because, I mean, people, the situation in Haiti, which experienced an earthquake um, just over a, a little more than a month ago, it's, it's very dire right now. And I mean, there was a presidential assassination in last summer. It's politically very unstable. And we're, we think that it's an important time that we don't send anyone back who should qualify under a law to, to stay. Many of us saw some really disturbing images of what looked like Border Patrol folks on horseback really uh, whipping Haitian migrants. And, I, you know, seeing those things are obviously so disturbing. I, I wonder if you could just pastor our listeners for a minute, Matthew. How should the church be reacting when we see images like that, hear news like that? Yeah, I mean, I saw those images as well and, and saw some of the video as well. And, and I, it is worth noting there's been lots of debates of what were those whips, were they the horse's reins? Apparently, they're the horse's reins. Were they being, you know, whipped at a human being or not? I, I don't know that we have evidence that they were. Um, honestly, what to me was the most troubling was some of the video where you could hear a particular Border Patrol agent using really you know, profanity that I would not repeat on a Christian radio station <laughs> yeah. to talk to these people and, you know, describe their country. And to me, that was almost, you know, particularly offensive. We have to enforce laws and the Border Patrol has a really hard job, but we can do so in a way that treats people with respect and with humanity. And, and that comes down to for Christians. And I think we should insist upon this for our government as well. The idea that each person is made in the image of God. So some of those people have good asylum claims and actually should be allowed under U.S. law to stay lawfully and permanently in the United States. Some of them don't. They're fleeing extreme poverty, but that that in itself does not qualify you for asylum. Um, they ought to have due process, and then if they have to be sent back, that's, that's the law, but they should be treated humanely throughout the process. And I, I think for Christians, um, you know, sometimes we focus so much on the role of the government and kind of asking, is the government doing their job? And maybe not looking very hard to find the answer to that question, um, that we forget to ask the question of, is the church doing our job? And mm. our job is to love our neighbors as ourselves. Um, in Luke 10, when Jesus, you know, is asked by, uh, by a legal scholar, well, who is my neighbor? It's pretty clear that your neighbor could be someone who is in need of a different nationality, um, who is a, a vulnerable traveler. I mean, that is the story of the Good Samaritan. In that case, someone of a different religion, though it's probably worth noting that statistically, most of these Haitians are like to be, likely to be brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, there are some very vibrant churches in Haiti and um, a lot of people who have clung to their faith in Jesus to sustain them through suffering that uh, is just beyond what most of us can imagine, not only in the journey, but also in the dynamics that compelled them to leave in the first place. And I hope that that's the first lens through which we view this as Christians. Like, yes, the government has jobs and we can talk about policies, um, but the role of the church is to show the love of Jesus yeah. um, and to recognize the dignity of every person and, um, I, whenever I hear sort of social media theme, memes or whatever, and I don't know if this is coming from Christians or not, but unfortunately, I think sometimes it is, along with the general society, it almost frames people in ways that if there were animals or a disease or that sort of thing. And there's just, you know, whatever you think about immigration policy, and there's space for, for you know, thoughtful disagreement there. Um, we need to talk about people in, in ways that recognize the dignity that God has placed in every person. Again, often as brothers and sisters in Christ, in many cases, 
I go back to that passage in Matthew 25. Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. And he says that we, whatever we do for one of the least of these, his brothers and sisters, we do unto him. And, and I wouldn't claim that that's, you know, the U.S. government necessarily needs to take that passage and apply it. Although it is worth noting in Matthew 25, the, the king in that passage, Jesus, is separating the nations. Um, people. Um, but it certainly um, as individuals, as followers of Jesus and as institutions, as churches, that ought to be on the top of our mind. Are we welcoming this stranger? Are we providing them food and drink and um, caring for those who are sick and, and without clothes and imprisoned? Or are we pushing them away? And yeah. as Isaiah 58 says, turning our back on our own flesh and blood. Ah, that's a good word, my man. That's a good word. Uh, and Matthew, you help us understand all of these kind of things across the board. So let me throw a different one at you. Uh, I was reading on your Twitter account and other places that uh, DACA is is in the midst of is in the news because a judge, I think, made it made a declaration about it. And you guys are asking the the Congress to act and to do something. Could you tell us what's going on right now with that with DACA? Yeah. So just real quick background. DACA is basically it's a executive program made by the of the Obama administration that applies to people who are brought to the United States as children who are not here legally. So they were able to be protected from deportation and have work authorization that's renewable. Um, a judge in Texas uh, a couple months ago, Judge Andrew Hainan in Texas, ruled that when the Obama administration created DACA, it did so illegally. Like it didn't comply with the law. That ruling, of course, is, is being appealed. The Biden administration, who, which supports DACA, has appealed that ruling. The interim situation is that um, if you currently have DACA, you can still renew it until a further judge rules otherwise, but there's no new applications to DACA being accepted. And um, which affects, I mean, I, my family has a friend who, you know, she turned 15, which is the minimum age to request DACA just um, after the previous administration closed off applications for a number of years. The Supreme Court let those applications reopen last summer, 2020. And now they're closed again. So her application is pending. She paid her $500 fee. Um, she's a senior in high school trying to figure out if she can go to college. Um, mm. Even with DACA, DACA doesn't give you federal financial aid, but it at least would allow you to work your way through college and to have the hope that when you have a degree, you could work with authorization. She's asking reasonable questions like, is it worth going to college and probably going to debt when I'm not going to be able to work if this doesn't get fixed? And I wish I had a, a confident answer for her. But really the solution that we see for that beyond praying for her and supporting her as an individual is for Congress to take action. And there's legislation already through the House of Representatives. The Senate's got a bipartisan bill that uh, Senator Durbin here in Illinois and Senator Graham down in South Carolina have uh, supported called the DREAM Act. It just hasn't gotten a vote. And we don't know if it'll pass the Senate. If it would, it would basically resolve the situation and, and resolve the question of if an executive program was legally created or not, because this would clearly be law created by Congress, which is how this ought to function in the first place. Right. And Matthew, for, you know, Christians listening right now who maybe want to see the DREAM Act be supported, want to see um, DACA continue, give us some handholds. Do we write our Congress? Do we send in letters? Do we make phone calls? Like, tell, what do we do? Yeah, you know, I appreciate that question. A phone call, I know that, like, I'm a millennial and we, like, don't use the phone for anything. (laughs) Tweeting and, you know, texting. But an actual phone call to a voicemail or to an intern sitting at a senator's desk, those make a big difference. And um, we've got a really great tool. If you go to evangelicalimmigrationtable.com, it's actually slash unmute. 
And there's a cute little video there about why we need people to unmute themselves and speak up. Um, but evangelicalimmigrationtable.com slash unmute. There's a tool, literally you put in your name and your phone number and your address so we know who your senator is, and it will call you. So you don't have to figure out how to dial a phone number. <laughs> and it'll, you'll hear my voice saying, this is roughly what you should say. It's not hard. They don't need policy details. They need to know we want a solution for dreamers. And it helps to mention your faith and how that motivates you. So we'd love for people to make those phone calls. It, it really makes it very easy and it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, that's fantastic. Once again, Matthew Sorens is the U.S. Director of Church Mobilization and Advocacy for World Relief. He's the National Coordinator for the Evangelical Immigration Table, the co-author of Seeking Refuge and Welcoming the Stranger. Matthew, thanks so much for being with us again today. We always appreciate your time. Yeah, I always enjoy being with you both. You can go to Evangelical Immigration Table slash unmute to find out more about uh, contacting your representatives. You can also go to worldrelief.org to learn more about World Relief and support the work there. You can connect with Matthew on Twitter at Matthew Sorens. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we're so thrilled that you're with us again today. I was reading this article over at daringtolivefully.com, and it's basically a list of 60 lists that you can uh, create to lift your mood. So 60 lists to lift your mood. What you're telling me here is that this is a list of lists. Yes, this is very meta. This is a list of lists. Like I finally have hit my happy spot. Like I am like I'm there. Like you know in Field of Dreams when he looks at Kevin Costner <laughs> goes, "Is this heaven?" And you know, I mean, a list of lists this of is your lists. Heaven. Just like this is just like a, it just keeps making lists of itself. This is great. I, it's it's like the matrix of lists. This is all <laughs> this is all good. Okay. So obviously we don't have time to list all 60 lists to lift your mood, but if you have time, you can go to daringtolivefully.com. But Brian, I thought we could list some of the things that you can list if you want to uh, lift your mood. So here were some of the suggestions. I'll read a couple. You read a couple. Okay. Okay. You can open that journal or open your phone or open your, you know, uh, recording app if you want to. And you can list all of the country cities you've ever been to. Mm -hmm. All of the countries and cities you want to go to. Now, tell me why that would lift your mood. I have some ideas about that, but tell me what you think. Uh, particularly the second one, it's pushing you forward and kind of like dream yeah. not only to have a goal, but to be like, uh, like picture you're in uh, Chicago in February and it is like where if you go outside, just your face automatically hurts and yeah. you know it's just bad. <laughs> right. And that could do a lot to your mood. But if you start going, man, someday yes. I want to go to Hawaii. Yes. I want to think about what that's like. That could really kind of – uh, change your mood. I think it's really helpful and it gives you something to shoot for. Yeah. I, and I also like listing the countries or cities you've been to. Cause I think sometimes you can forget like, Oh wait, I've had some amazing life experiences. Mm -hmm. I may be stuck at home right now in the pandemic or just cause of like my season of life, but I've seen cool places. I've done cool things. And so I, I can see why that could lift your mood as well. Okay. We have to remember some of these, by the way, for our top five lists, Brian, because these are good. Okay. Here's another one. You can list your favorite songs or you can list your favorite people. Mm. What do you think about that? Why would that be a mood lifter? Because it'll make you happy. Yeah. I think the whole point of these is to focus you on things that give you positive um, 
or a positive response, yeah. right? And so yeah. songs that make us happy, but especially people like, okay, uh, here's here's some people like, listen to this one. You're ready okay. for this yeah, one ready on, for later down on this one? Uh, I, and then I would like you to just uh, explain this one, why this would be a good thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, list your favorite smells. Oh, yum. I like that idea. I might be a top five list for us coming up. We got to write that. Let's write that smells. down. Yes. I feel like vanilla has to be on there. There's some good smells out there. There's some bad ones too, but we'll <laughs> As a mom of three <laughs> right. boys. <yes. laughs> right. I'm, I like that. Top five favorite smells. Cause, and, and then that might you, make you think like, oh, I'm going to get a candle. I'm going to light a candle. Like your whole mood has changed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And is I there another think, one? Well, I just think in this, I don't know that this one's on here, but in general, the whole idea of a bucket list, like mm. it is. All right. So because sometimes, uh, Aubrey, the day in and day out, I'm in the same spot doing the same thing. Yeah. It can just get monotonous. And the monotony is can really what gets a lot of us down and a lot of people down. But but one of the ways to break the monotony is like, all right, here's 10 things in the next five years I want to do. Mm. I want to go jump out of an airplane. Yeah. That's not mine. I can tell you that much. Or I want to visit this place and I want to it gives you things to look forward to, to work towards. I think what a lot of this is getting at is to uh, remind us of what's good in our life, remind yeah. us of the positive, but then also to uh, to give you things to kind of shoot for. And yes. I think if you talk to any counselor, like this is mm-hmm. uh, like this is right out of counseling. People will tell you, you know what you need? You need things to be looking forward to. You need things to shoot for. And I, I think that's what makes these so important. Yeah, I, I, there is something tr- about that because then you move from listening to maybe even planning. Like if one thing moves to the top of your list and you're like, oh, you know what? I have always wanted to go to Scotland. Suddenly you're you're uh, saving up money, right? You're looking yeah. for places, you're researching and and it can inspire you. I think like you said, to make a take a dream and put it to action, right? I've always yeah. wanted to write a book. I've always wanted to go see this one family member. Like all of a sudden you're moving from inspiration to action and that can be life-changing. Like you don't know what just a, to ha- like you're saying, have a, have something to look forward to yes, yes. when life feels so monotonous and tedious can really shift your attitude. And then I, I also like the ones where you're just remembering like some of these other things on her list are list the people who've helped you or list people you've helped I, I like thinking about what God has already done in my life by providing people that have inspired me or helped me or encouraged me. Cause then it just makes you grateful for the life you have yes. right now as well. Yeah. You I, could I also, think it's oh, important ahead, to Brian. look back. Like you said, I'm sorry, really fast. No. I do. We keep talking about looking forward. I think it's important to list things like here's where life was good. Mm. Here's where uh, my best memories. I think that's also important because it breeds thankfulness. Yeah. In yeah. You could also make a list of all the lists you want to make. Oh, that's the best. And I feel like all. that's for you. Yeah. That one's for you, Brian. Well, thanks so much for joining us, everybody, today. We hope you're encouraged by that. Maybe grab a journal and go start creating some lists to lift your mood. We'll be back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.